Blog Talk Radio.
Babakwatawab, y'all, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Kazakpa. And welcome to Bible Talk, sponsored by ISBHPK. I want to say shout out to our affiliated schools in VA, Rochester, H-Town, and SA. Shout out to Kyle Cobb down in Guatemala, the brothers in Albuquerque, and the 12 tribes scattered worldwide, y'all. Hope everybody is healthy. Hope everybody is uh, in good spirits. Um, shout out to all the brothers and sisters that are currently going through trials and tribulations and struggles and uh, wrestling principalities. Shout out to you brothers and sisters and encouragement to keep your head up, man. Um, help is right around the corner. Be patient. Be patient, man. That is the thing that I am learning most uh, here lately is to be patient, man. The most high got your back, man. And that is a fact. That is a fact, man. Um, what I want to get into, man. Oh, yeah, we got Passover coming up, like one week left, right? Until the big day, man, in which uh, one of the three high holy days that we are required by law to appear before the most high, man. So uh, looking forward to that, man. Looking forward to seeing the brothers and sisters in VA, Rochester, and uh, everybody, man, that's coming through, man, to celebrate the Passover. Uh, excited. I've never been uh, that far east before, so uh, I'm looking forward to that also, man, just seeing um, different uh, scenery, different environment, man, so I'm looking forward to that. Um. Any other announcements I want to make? I don't think there's anything else. Let me go ahead and get to it, y'all. Um, so let me start like I always do. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I'm mine, man. I'm mine, I'm mine. So be it, so be it. This is the prayer, brothers and sisters. We need to be sending up on a daily, man. We can get the hell up out of here, man. And one thing, too, man, that I was reminded of, this scripture has been really heavy on my mind lately. Let me get this real quick. Boom. Pop right up to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, (laughs) y'all. 
It says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense or payback of reward. Now, the confidence we need to be holding on to is not our own confidence, man. Not at all, y'all. It's the confidence, the confidence of Yahweh Shah, it's the confidence of Christ, man. It's the confidence in the most high that he does, in fact, have your back. I'm going to prove that. Watch this. Now watch this here. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. But Christ, as a son over his own house, Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence? Y'all see this? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Unto the end, y'all. So this is all over. We're supposed to be holding fast the confidence that we have in your house shy, man. This confidence is important in all arenas of life, man, especially, especially your home life, man. Because home life, man, oof, my goodness. And I've said this countless times. Excuse me, y'all. I've said this countless times on the show that the hardest thing that you will do in life is to raise little human beings, (laughs) to become big human beings. Man, that is a job. That is work. And it's challenging. And it's challenging because a lot of us are what Kawakab refers to as M-I-A. Not missing in action, but made in America, man. A lot of us have a lot of the American influence, the American uh, ideology seared in our brains, and it makes it very difficult to maneuver, battle, go against those things. And this is why Yahweh Shai said this also. Let me get this, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm talking probably on the soapbox, y'all. If you have not figured it out, figured it out yet. All right, Matthew chapter uh, 10 and verse 34. This is why Yahweh said this. He said, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. So right here we're finding out that Yahweh, he ain't come for peace on earth, goodwill towards me and that stuff they be saying around Christmas time, which it is in the Bible, but it's taken totally out of context in that song. But he's telling us here that he ain't coming for peace. Listen to this. I came not to send peace, but a sword. A sword is used to kill people. I know a lot of a lot of holy rollers, a lot of uh, religious folk, they think that God and Jesus is love. But they don't they don't read this part right here. The most high is both sides, y'all. He's peace 
and he's war. That's the duality that the Most High set up himself. We read about that in the Ecclesiastes, that the Most High has made one against another. This is the way he put it. This is the way he ordained it. You can read also about that in Romans, the seventh chapter, when Paul is talking about the battle between his spirit and his flesh. That is called, Esau refers to it, the world refers to it as duality. So the Most High is both. He's good and evil. The Most High is war and peace. So his son is also the same way. I want us to understand this. This is why Christ is saying this. I'm going to read it again, verse 34, Matthew 10, 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. A sword is just a weapon, but a sword divides things. Christ is coming to bring division. And the division is going to be who believes and who doesn't believe. The believer and the unbeliever. Let me read on. For I've come to set a man at variance against his father. This is the division that he's talking about in verse 34. Variance means you're going to be at odds. It says against his father and the daughter against her mother. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, this is what I want to get to. Listen to this, y'all. Verse 36. And a man's foes, meaning his enemies, his frenemies, <laughs> or whatever terminology you want to put on it, the people, people that are against you, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Are y'all hearing this? This means that you're going to be, what's the movie they made years back? I think it was in the 90s. Sleeping with the enemy. <laughs> you're sleeping with the enemy, man. The person that is closest to you is your enemy, is your adversary, is your foe. And it was designed this way. And you got to think about it. Why would Christ set things up this way? Because he went through this with Judas. Y'all remember? Remember? Judas was rolling with Christ for three years of Christ's of Yahweh's ministry. I believe he was the treasurer. So he was trusted. <laughs> you trust somebody with your finances, man. They're trustworthy. This was a trustworthy individual who set Christ up. Ironically enough, he was the treasurer, and he got paid blood money to set Christ up, to have him murked by his own people, by us. Ain't that ironic? My point in bringing all this up is that that happened to Christ, and we call ourselves Christians, which means to be followers of Christ, followers of Yahweh so what the hell do you think will happen to us? You don't think we want to be betrayed? You don't think that? And the betrayal is going to be the person that's, the person that's closest, that's near, nearest to you. I want us to understand that. A lot, a lot of us don't believe the way we should. 
A lot of us don't believe the way people think that we should believe. A lot of us, we give a lot of credit to people that don't necessarily that don't necessarily deserve it. A lot of us have changed the outward appearance, and we'll go through the motions, and we'll do a program, <laughs> a program, but we won't do the most high. Let me get off the soapbox, and let's get on with the show, man. Let's go to Psalms chapter 118, and we're going to read verse 24, man. Psalms chapter 118 and verse 24. This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Good or bad, happy, sad. The Most High brought you to it. He'll bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it, y'all. Got to hold on to it, y'all. We have to. That is what we got. That's the defense that we must use accepting the situation that we are in, man. Not running from it, not backing down from it, having confidence and moving forward in it. All right, y'all. So there's a couple things I want to get to. Um, and originally I didn't really have too much news, man, but I looked on this morning and I'm like, okay, some no stuff going on. Um let me see what I want to get first. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely gonna to get to the uh, the the shooting that happened in yeah Tennessee. But before I even go there, let me get uh, let me get this right here, y'all. Oh, excuse me. This is from NPR. And the headlines reads, Panera rolls out hand-scanning technology that has raised privacy concerns. The palm reader will not be able to tell your fortune, but it will figure out if you are part of Panera's Panera's loyalty program. Over the next few months, the bakery cafe chain will roll out scanners that can access customers' credit card and loyalty accounting using their palms. The biometric gathering technology developed by Amazon and called Amazon One is already popular in airports, stadiums, and whole food market grocery stores. Panera is expecting to become the first national restaurant company to use it. Panera Bread, CEO, uh, Nirene Chowhari, said in a press release last week that the contactless payment method is meant to serve as a convenience, but there has been growing concern about palm recognition technology. And, you know, that's the way they roll everything out. They roll it out in the form of convenience, and us being lazy uh, sedentary people 
will automatically grasp on to whatever is convenient, man. And this is quite the opposite of the Bible, because the Bible says, abhor or hate not laborers' work. But this is what we be running from, man. And that's what I was talking about, about being made in America, man. We've uh, attached ourselves mm-hmm. and grafted into the ideology of America. And it's made us lazy. It's made us spoiled. It's made us um, anti-Christ, anti the most high. That's what it's really done to us on a spiritual level. Um, reading on this article, it says, in 2021, a group of U.S. senators questioned Amazon's data collection practices and specifically whether biometric uh, data is being used for advertising and tracking purposes. In contrast, with biometric systems like Apple's Face ID and Touch ID or Samsung's Pass, which stores biometric information on a user's device, Amazon One reportedly uploads biometric information to the cloud, raising unique security risks, the senator letter to Amazon CEO Andy Jazzy said. Earlier this month, a shopper based in New York City filed a lawsuit against Amazon claiming that the company did not properly notify customers in Amazon uh, Amazon Go stores that their biometric information was being collected. So here we go again, man. And we've been hearing about breaches over and over again, man. And this is the world that they, they created, man. And I, I be hearing people complain about stories like this when they uh, come out in the media. Hear people complain about this, but these same people that be complaining about this nonsense, this uh, wickedness, be the first ones to run to the ballot and the first ones trying to be involved in politics instead of praying to get the hell up out of here, man. There is no way you can be affiliated with any democratic process as it pertains to this country and be a believer in Christ. There's no way it's impossible. Because if you are a believer in Christ, when did Christ vote? What political party did he belong to? Tell me that. Show me when he formed alliances with the Roman government during the time of his life, his first coming. Show me that. Find it in the scriptures, man. So it's impossible to be political and say that you believe in Christ, man. All right, moving on, y'all. Uh, this story right here is from uh, NPR again, and you probably heard about it. Uh, I hope I pronounced this right. Saudi Juarez live updates. Mexico's president says migrants set fire to facility themselves. So this is a story about our brothers and sisters who we refer to as the nine and a half or the Spanish-speaking tribes or the Cornean tribes. This is a story about our brothers and sisters down there, man, who apparently were in a fire, and they say they started this fire. So I'm going to read on. It says, a fire at an immigration facility in Caridad, Juarez, Mexico, has killed 39 immigrants and injured 29 others. 
Here are the here here's what we are following. Called Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez or Boda or Boda says the immigrants started the fire themselves, but others are still investigating the cause. Okay, I'm not gonna read all that. Uh Understanding why Sayyidah Juarez is hostile to immigrants all starts with Title 42, says an immigration reporter. So this is a place that's known to be hostile towards immigrants, and this is also a place, a a very popular place, place for migrants or immigrants crossing over into the United States because it borders El Paso. So it says, uh, if you're trying to understand what life is like for immigrants right now, you need to understand Title 42, says Jane Frederick. A Mexico City-based journalist and documentarian documentarian who covers immigrants. Quick refresher. Title 42 is a uh, pandemic-era policy that allows U.S. officials to expel immigrants from the country regardless of whether they might qualify for asylum. The policy is set to expire in May per a Supreme Court ruling. Yeah, that's that's what uh, Donald Trump had issued in. Many people was uh, upset about that. Well, it's still going on. They said it expires in May. It says, first off, and this is a quote, it's hard for asylum seekers in Juarez to cross into the U.S. and ask for asylum because they'll just be turned back uh, I'm sorry, just be turned around back into Mexico, Frederick said. If these quick explosions, it, I'm sorry, in these quick explosions, explosions, is it create this loop where people are crossing multiple times. People keep trying to get across the border, man. And our brothers and sisters are down there suffering. And it said that they started this fire because they were being sent back to the countries that they came from. And a lot of them come from Central and South America, escaping the giant uh, doodle pit that America, Europe, and other uh, Caucasian nations have created for them in unstabilizing their governments and countries and forming coups and such and exploiting for the natural resources while the indigenous people suffer. All right, y'all. Uh, I said I was going to get this. Let me get it. Let me find it. What I do with it? Uh-oh. Wait a minute, y'all. Hmm. Here we go. Oh, man, they took it down. So yesterday, man, they, wow, they took it down. So they had a press conference in Tennessee. And um, this lady, man, she stepped right into the press conference. And she started going in. She was talking about, man, ain't y'all tired of this? This is the so-and-so, so-and-so school. Matter of fact, she was coming from another school shooting that happened this year. She was visiting her relatives down to Tennessee. And uh, 
ran right into another damn mass shooting, man. Man, hold on. I'm trying to find this, y'all. Hold up. They straight up took it down, man. I cannot find it. All right, let me just get the article there, man. This is from CNN. Nashville police released body cam footage of police shooting a school attacker. Whoa, wait a minute. Is this her? Hold on, y'all. How can more women drive innovation? That's a commercial. Women continue to be globally underrepresented. So they got a picture up, man. A picture up of a sister. And I don't know if they saying that this is the one that perpetrated this uh, mass shooting or what. Come on, come on, come on, come on. How did you know her? I, I, listen, oh, no, that's not her. The Metro Nashville Police Department released body cam footage Tuesday from the two officers who rushed into the, the, uh, into the Covenant School on Monday and fatally shot the mass shooter. The footage is from the body cam worn uh, camera of officers Rex, uh, I can't pronounce his name, and Michael Corleonzo, who police said fatally shot the attacker on Monday at 10.27 a.m. The videos show the officers entering the school aimed, uh, I'm sorry, amid wailings, firearms, and immediately went into several rooms to look for the suspect. They heard gunfire on the second floor and so hustled up the stairs as the bags grew, I'm sorry, the bangs grew louder. The video shows the officers approaching the sound of gunfire and the police armed with an assault-style rifle rounded a corner and fired multiple times at a person near a large window who dropped to the ground, the video shows. Wow, so I guess they didn't take a, a page out of the Uvalde uh, police book because they said they were scared to go in because they didn't have their body armor on. I don't know if y'all heard about that, the investigation about the Uvalde uh, police. That's what they're saying. They were scared to go in because they didn't have the proper armor. And here we are again, y'all. What is it? Another one. Another one. Another one. Yes, it is another one, man. It's another mass school shooting. And we at this point, can you even be surprised? Can you really even be surprised, man? Let's get this, man. And I brought this scripture out several times on Blog Talk, man. But this it just keeps happening, man. And, of course, they're trying to push an agenda. I want you all to understand this, man. They are definitely trying to do away with uh, assault rifles 
and arms in general. And the reason being is because when they issue martial law, and it's coming, it is definitely coming. Y'all think that uh, January 6th was something? You ain't seen nothing, man. That's just the beginning. You see how people are already going against their country. This place is going is going down the drain from the inside out, man. They're going to destroy themselves. Um, let me get this. Uh, Habakkuk 2. And let me start at... Uh, we saw it verse 8. It says, Because thou hast spoiled many nations. Now listen to the context clues is dropping. Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall shall spoil thee. <laughs> so it's saying that this, this this particular place or nation has spoiled many nations. Many nations took from many nations, things such as their natural resources. Um, they built things that, uh, like canals and um, what else? Uh, they policed their airways, and they basically just suck natural resources out of place. This is what it's talking about, because thou hast spoiled many nations, and they've done this many nations. It says all the remnants of the people shall spoil thee. So, and the Bible tells us what a man shall he shall also reap, right? Well, right here it's saying because you can spoil these people, the remnant of these people that are now on your soils, they're going to spoil you. They're going to take from you. It says all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood. So these people have not forgot the atrocities that you've committed against their na- their nations, their nationals. They ain't forgot because of the blood. They won't pay back. It says, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. And the violence is going on where? Heavily in rotation every other week, if not every week. Here in the Americas, man, because this is who it's talking about. This is talking about America. This is the way they get down. This is talking about the Caucasians and their quest for white supremacy. Verse 9, woe to him that covered an evil covetousness to his house. What it's talking about here is you're covering up the fact <laughs> that you want everything, you want things that don't belong to you, you're trying to hide it by your democracy. So this is the first thing they say, man, when they go into a country, some from, from it. We're trying to bring democracy to this nation. We're trying to uh, uplift the people. Look how, how horribly they treat, they treat their citizens. And I just recently was hearing that how uh, this month, I believe, this month and this year marked the anniversary of uh, Kuwait, the invasion of Kuwait. And he was talking about how they had put Saddam Hussein on trial, but they put him on trial in a hostile environment and basically started the Sunni-Shiite war in the Muslim uh, countries when they did that. And they did that all so they could go in 
and steal the petroleum that was in Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries in the Middle East. This is what they do. They match their real purpose, which is covetousness, and they say, I'm going, we're going to, to right an injustice. We're going to right a wrong. So what they always do, Afghanistan, oh, we got to get the Taliban. The Taliban, they blew up the planes and the world trip. Y'all did that to yourselves. There's been a mountain of evidence to show that y'all orchestrated 9-11 yourselves. The Pentagon attack, the world trip, y'all did that. Come on, man. The, 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 the stuff y'all were coming out was impossible to believe. Y'all can, y'all can read a newspaper from the satellites that y'all have in space, but y'all couldn't see these Muslim dudes conspiring against this country, pilot license, licenses in the U.S.? Stop, man. Stop. They think people are just plumb, dumb, stupid, and a lot of us are. A lot of people are. I'm going to say us because I don't want to include myself in that. A lot of people are stupid, though, man. But this is what it's talking about, verse 9. It says, Woe to him that covereth an evil covetousness to, to his house. So they cover up, like I said, their intentions, which is wicked, which is covetous, through their so-called democracy. It says that he might, that he may set his nest on high. And why are they doing this? Because they want to be the only one. They don't want any competition. They got to be the best. And they'll brag and say it all the time. This is the best country in the world. And our people have the audacity being ignorant. Oh, man, the United States is the best country in the world. What you talking about, nigga? Nigga, you don't even have a passport. You ain't even been in no other country. And I ain't going to sit up here in front of y'all like, I got one. I ain't got no passport either. And I ain't been in no other countries. But I do research. <laughs> I be in books. I know this ain't the best country in the world. Hell, you know, I've had conversations with Carl Cobb, who lives in the third world country, and he he's told me how they can go outside and pick fruit off a tree. Things like guava, things like avocados. You pick off a tree in the third world country. And I'm like, man, they might not have the monetary, they might not have money, but, man, you can live off the land. You can live off the land. And here we go into damn grocery stores buying avocados that's been set in somebody's warehouse for about a month before they even get to the store, and then they got to audacity to charge three damn dollars a piece for them. But this is the greatest country in the world. Nigga, please. It says uh, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. And that's what he'd be thinking, thinking that the Most High is really not going to smash him for all the stuff he just done. Verse 10, thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people. You see this? Can't be talking about nobody else, man. But the so-called white man. 
But Esau, thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people. And they have, man, whether it be domestically or abroad, they've cut off many people. Hello, 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 hello. They kicked me off, y'all. <laughs> they kicked me off. I tried to call back in, man. It seems like every time I start going in on Esau, I get kicked off, man. I guess they, they won't. They sending me a message to stop. <laughs> That's their, their way of censoring me, I guess. I don't know what it is, man. But what did uh, Puffy say? I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I ain't going to stop. Anyway, um, oh yeah, verse eleven. For the stone shall cry out of the walls, and this is what I wanted to get to, y'all, because the lady that, and I hate they they took it down. It was on there last night. But they took it down, man. But they was having a live press conference, and this white woman came in after the the they had finished the press conference. She's like, ain't y'all tired of this? <laughs> She said, we got to petition our government to get rid of these weapons. She was going in. It says, for the stone shall cry out of the wall. That's one of their own crying out from their house. Because this is, this is metaphorically, y'all, that she's from their own house that they built crying out against the house. I'm going to read it again. For the stone shall cry out of the wall. And the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that builded a town with blood. And this is what she was saying. Ain't y'all tired of this? Like I said, this lady, I forgot what school shooting she said she had left from or been a part of. Her son was in it at escape. But she came to Tennessee and was in the midst of another. Woe to him that builded a town with blood and established or established a city by iniquity, man. It says destruction to these people. You can't you can't build something on blood and violence and not expect to get that in return. And we definitely gotta be aware of the times that we are living in, y'all. Let's not forget this. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, talking about Esau and banging on Esau a little bit, man, but I don't want that to be the uh, what you walk away with from the class. Like, we just always talking about Esau aimlessly, man. We were talking about him for a reason, man. I did a class years back called Duality. And in that class, I was bringing out how Esau is our other side. Don't forget, y'all, Jacob and Esau are twins. <laughs> Not identical twins, but paternal twins. And the Most High has set him up to show us us. He's a reflection of us in a beastly Estate, y'all. Let's not forget that. Jacob, Israel, is the spiritual. Esau is the carnal. 
all from the same bloodline, mind you. All right. Let's get uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, this is the part I want to get to. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Now, this is during the time of Noah. The earth was filled with violence. And what did the Most High do? What Did the Most High say, oh, the violence is good. Keep the party going. Did he? No, he didn't say that. Let's, let's find out. Verse 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt like it is now. The earth is full of violence, and it's corrupt right now. And behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. The earth is filled with violence right now. The most, the most High said this way back when that the earth was filled with violence, and he did not approve of it. He did not like it. That's why he said the end of all flesh is before me. Like, man, I'm about to wipe everybody out. And he went on to do that. And he only survived eight people. And out of those eight people that he survived, he only chose to deal with one. One of Noah's sons, which was Shem. And then even through Shem's lineage, he was very particular who he chose to deal with. Now go back and read the Bible, y'all. The Most High is not inclusive. He's very exclusive. Even amongst Israel. Even amongst his people. Anyway, I'm bringing this out to show that this is where we are now. And like the Most High destroyed the world back in Noah's time, he's going to do it again because he doesn't like the violence and the corruption that's on the earth. Let me prove it. Let's get Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And verse 26, and it reads, and this is Christ speaking, and as it was in the days of Noah, it's talking about Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So how was it during the days of Noah? We just read it. The earth was full of violence, and it was corrupt. No different than now. Read it again. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So when is Christ coming back? When there's a lot of violence and corruption on the earth. This is marking him coming back. Read on, verse 27. They did eat. Now, it's not just talking about eating food here, y'all. This is metaphorically also. You ever heard the saying, uh, somebody might say, yeah, I went to class today, and then I was eating. Or, man, I was soaking up this knowledge. We use terms like this very loosely. But you can understand what it's talking about. When it's talking about eating, it's talking about people partaking 
in different things, whether it be ideology, sports, uh, medicine, uh, sorcery, technology, I mean, whatever. People are right now eating. People are in all arenas of life soaking in things, soaking in knowledge from some from something. Verse 27 again, they did eat, they drank, they married wives. Now, the biblical definition for uh, marriage, you'll see it countless times in the scriptures, he went in unto her, talking about sexual relations. So when it talks about they married wives, talking about people's going to be having sex, right? They was back during the time of Noah. People was getting it in. People was, what's the uh, TLC? So I creep, yeah, I keep it on the down low. Everybody got a side piece. It ain't nothing new, y'all. It was like that during the days of Noah. A lot of it was going on. People be bringing up uh, Solomon Gomorrah, but I believe that Noah's time might have been worse because Solomon Gomorrah was concentrated through five cities, but back in Noah's time, it was just going on all over. Orgies, uh, threesomes, fours, whatever you can think of. The most debased uh, sexual acts you can think of was going on back in Noah's day. And it's going on right now. To where you can find any uh, sexual fetish that you're into at your fingertips and in real life. Verse 27, they did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all destroyed them all except for eight people. But God is loved, all right? Verse 28, likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. <laughs> so when Christ comes back, what does it mean to be revealed? Because a lot of us running around praying to a Caucasian, long-haired, hippie-looking dude. Christ is coming back, the revealing, because we already got his, his revealing in the book of Revelation, in the book of Daniel, what he looked like. But people, the world is going to see a big, angry black man parting the sky. That's the revealing, y'all. Parting the sky and murking people, wiping people out. He's saying it himself right here. People are going to get caught tripping. When you read about the scenes with Sodom and Gomorrah, when you read about Noah's Ark, People die, y'all, in droves. Hell, 
the five seasons of Sodom and Gomorrah, destruction was so bad that Lot's two uh, children, girl children, thought that they were the only ones that survived on the earth. The destruction was that bad. They thought it was just them and their daddy. So how bad is going to be this destruction? This is the reason we be talking about Esau in this place, y'all, so we can get out of that mindset. So we won't, like Revelation says, be partakers of her plagues. We won't go down with the ship. Once again, he's our twin brother. He's the negative that's in us. When we keep reaching out to him, to his ideology, his belief system, we're joining ourselves to him, therefore becoming a part of the punishment that the Most High has awaiting this dude. Don't go down with the ship, y'all. It ain't even your ship. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> I like this analogy that I'm using. That ship that was the love boat for them was the slave ship for us. They were above deck. We were below deck. All right, y'all. Let me get this one right here. Do I have time? Yeah, I got a little time. I got to find this one. Come on, man. Get off the damn screen. Nope. Let's go here. Here we go. It's from NPR, and it reads, um, cities may be debating reparations, but here's why most Americans oppose the idea. Once again, man, this reparations nonsense, getting out of hand. Local reparation programs in about a dozen cities and, and the state of California have renewed hopes for an eventual national policy to compensate for slavery. But after decades of lobbying and three years of a national reckoning over race, Americans overall remain strongly opposed to the idea. You don't say Americans, right? Basically, they're saying white people. When uh, Tashi Nita began polling about it several years ago, uh, he expected money would be the biggest issue, or perhaps the workability of such a complex undertaking. It turns out those are the smallest concerns among the two-thirds of Americans who say they're against cash payments to the descendants of slaves. So they say they're against cash payments. <laughs> uh, let me jump down. This is what I want to get to. Netta and also the the Peer Research Center finds about three quarters or more of white adults oppose reparations, you don't say. And so do a majority of Latinos and Asian Americans. A large majority of black Americans support them. 
there's also more support among younger people in a short political divide with overwhelming opposition from Republicans and conservatives. Now, it says that Latinos, man, divide and conquer, divide and conquer at its finest. These Latinos really are ignorant of history. I guess they, well, they they have to. They think that they weren't slaves. (laughs) I don't know if y'all knew this, man, but our so-called Latin brothers and sisters, they were in those fields as well. I don't know if y'all knew that. In, In fact, they were the first to hit the fields. But a lot of them died off, and they didn't work as hard as the southern kingdom. And I'm talking Judah, Benjamin, Levi. They didn't work. Uh, they weren't as durable. I ain't gonna say they didn't work as hard. They weren't as durable. They would they would die. But then Esau found that so-called white man found that you could work these black people harder, and they they were more durable. You don't believe me, man? Look it up. Do your research. Anyway, um, so this is their argument. It says, on a recent sun, sunny day on the National Mall in uh, Washington, D.C., it was not hard to find reparations opponents willing to share their reasoning. So these are the, this is the reasoning of some of the people. You can't take what we know now and try to Superimpose yourself onto 150 years ago, says Jeff, uh, whatever his name is, visiting from Huntsville, Alabama, large prison town, been there, hated it. He calls racism a sin and says, of course, slavery was wrong, but to try and make amends at this point makes no sense. (laughs) So in other words, you can't write a wrong. Uh, here's another uh, quote. The generation that would be paying for it have nothing to do with what was done in the past, he says. And then you're paying people that have nothing to do with it in the past. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This one here, man. The arrogancy of these people, man, it makes me want to just choke one of these. He says the generation that would be paying for it have nothing to do with what was done in the past. He's saying that his people currently have nothing to do with the acts of their ancestors in the past. Hmm. Well, why are y'all still celebrating y'all victories from the past, such as the 4th of July? Hmm which is y'all Independence Day. Why are y'all commemorating the wars that y'all been in every Memorial Day of y'all ancestors if y'all are disassociating yourselves with your ancestors? Listen, man, y'all still holding the bag, so y'all as as guilty as y'all ancestors. Y'all still benefit from what y'all ancestors did because what y'all ancestors did was for y'all. <laughs> it was for y'all. No different than all y'all talk about now is 
Y'all want to set things up for future generations. That's what y'all be saying now. But now y'all want to use this disclaimer disclaimer, when y'all have to be responsible for something that y'all did, that y'all ancestors did. When y'all have to fess up and make, and y'all being pressured to make things right, there's no way in the hell they'd ever be right. But now y'all trying to use the scapegoat. Let me read y'all this, man. This is Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21 and 16. And it reads, And he that stilleth a man. Now, who stole people? The nation we loosely refer to as white. White people. And he that stilleth a man and selleth him. Who did this? They did. Historical records prove all this. Or if he be found in his hand. Now, when it says found in his hand, what does that mean? It means that you still have him. You stole him and you still have him. Is this the case of the so-called white man? Yes, it is. Because they stole people, kidnapped people, and they've had them kidnapped for damn 500 years now. And not just the original people that they kidnapped, but their offsprings as well. Their offsprings as well. You've had generations upon generations of kidnapped people. And now you're saying you're not responsible for it? This day and age, this current time? How so? How so? And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Shabbat, you're listening in. There's no statute of limitation on murder, is it? Am, am I misquoting something? If anybody can answer that question, maybe I'm wrong, y'all. Maybe I'm wrong. Bobby, can you hear me now? I didn't even see that. I got a text. She says she can't hear me. Can y'all hear me? Mashaba, if you listening in, can you hear me? Bobby, can you hear me now? Shoot me a text. Let me know if y'all can hear me. Okay, I don't know what was going on earlier. Loud and clear or what? Muffled what? Talk to me. Okay, cool. Uh, Okay, cool, cool, cool. What about that statute of limitation thing? Is there a statute of limitation on murder? I don't believe it is. Let me read the scripture again. It says, He that stilleth a man and selleth him, for if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. The laws of the Most High said they're supposed to die. That's the only way you can make it right. You got to die. But they ain't trying to hear that. There's another scripture that says, matter of fact, let me get it. 
because they be asking all the time, how can they make it right? Matter of fact, I just watched a debate last night. The water shop for uh, give me that debate. Gorilla Hebrew and uh, this Edomite, Dr. Brown, and he ended the debate talking about if anything he can do, because he was talking about how he was against uh, racism, if anything he could do to uh, black people, then let him know. I'm letting you know, Mr. Brown, if this broadcast reaches your ear eardrums, what you can do is this. Revelation chapter 13, verse 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. So you want to do something? Collectively get your people together and agree upon y'all being our slaves collectively. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So let us kill y'all like y'all killed us. Let us um, disassemble your families the way y'all disassembled our families. Let us traumatize y'all the way that we were traumatized. That's the only way things could be fair and square and made even to where we would be even Stephen, man. That's the only way. Hold on, maybe I'll send something in. If the crime causes severe emotional or physical distress, Texas law may not assign it a statute of... Ooh, my goodness. All right, the water lobby, y'all. If the crime causes severe emotional or physical distress, which the crime of kidnapping, also known as slavery... Did Texas law, this is Texas law, may not assign it a statute of limitations. And this is your own law that says this. You see how they hypocrites, man? That means the prosecutions can file charges against you for one of these crimes at any time. Even 10 or 20 years later, felony crimes with no statute of limitations include murder and manslaughter. Oh, lobby guy. So, water for that. You're a long talk, lobby guy, right there. Mashallah hit me up. Charges against you for one of these crimes at any time, even 10 or 20 years later, felony crimes with no statute of limitation include murder and manslaughter. That's what a lot of y'all also just sent, man. That's Texas law. I guess this is national law that you looked up and shot with the water for that. Right. As it, as it pertains to them, then they gotta always change the damn laws. When it when it pertains to us, then oh, we gotta enforce the law. We law-abiding citizens, but y'all don't have to abide by our own damn principles and our own laws, man. Such damn hypocrites. Let me get Proverbs. Proverbs chapter seventeen and verse uh, six. 
This is the last one, y'all. Then I'm going to my class. Proverbs 17 and 6. And it reads, children's children are the crown of all men. So what this is saying is that a crown is a reward or uh, something that uh, you value. So it's saying that your children are your reward. That's your crown, man. That's your um, preeminence. Your children, your offspring. It says, and the glory of children, listen to this, and the glory of children are their fathers. Meaning what? (laughs) You, as the offspring of your dad, you value your dad. You stand with your dad. All the decisions that he made, all the things that he did for you, because it started off saying that children's children are the crown of the, of of all men, right? So you you value your children, you set things up for your children. Because all of us be saying this too, right? We want our children to be better than us, so we lay down a platform that they can succeed in and be better than us. But that platform is for them. Whatever we do before they even come along is for them. No different than the so-called white men and their ancestors. They slavery was orchestrated for them, for the, the the generations to follow. So how the hell are they not responsible? You see the hypocrisy, y'all. But no, they ain't have nothing to do with it. You can miss me with that. Anyway, y'all, I got I gotta get to this class. I went a little bit over with the news. I'm going to take a small recess, man, before we get into the class. I'll be right back, y'all. Continuing the class uh, that I started, uh, well, second of the class that I started last week, it's part of the series, Never Wax Pale, Assimilation of the Jews, Part 2. And last week, what we went over was um, the rise of Alexander the Great and uh, his kingdom 
which came in around 333 B.C. Uh, and this was another captivity of the Israelites, another captivity of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already been taken away by uh, the Shalomaneser dynasty, uh, the Assyrians. They led us into captivity. So now I've been doing this series dealing with the captivity of the southern kingdom, which is Judah, Benjamin, and some of the tribe of Levi, or half the tribe of Levi. So what we discussed and went over last week was in the Josephus how, um, matter of fact, I guess I got a recap. Small recap. So let's go. I ain't going to read all of it, y'all. I'm going to jump a little bit. Uh, let me see. So last week we went over how Alexander was determined to take Jerusalem and that he was upset with Jerusalem because they wouldn't pay tribute because we were paying tribute to uh, the Persian meat empire. And then the priests um, told everybody to send up prayers to the Most High, and the Most High told him that, don't worry about it, told him what to do. So what eventually happened is uh, we all got together, wore white robes, went out to meet Alexander, and Alexander was given a vision or a dream by the Most High about the things that the place taking place, and he didn't destroy Jerusalem, but he paid homage to the Most High and sent up sacrifices to the Most High and um, he heard our petition or our request, which was not to pay uh, tribute to him the seventh year, and that we would be able or allowed to practice the Most High's law, statutes, and commandments, our culture, and our heritage. Now, I'm going to pick up on that part. He granted all they desired, and when they entreated him that he would permit the Jews and Babylonian, Babylonian, I'm sorry, Babylon and Media. Now, and, and I want us to, to, to key in on this too. The Jews in Babylon, meaning that a lot of us still stayed. You remember, and I went over this too, uh, in dealing with the Persian Mede captivity, when um, the brother Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and the brother Joshua had commis- were commissioned to go back and rebuild the temple that a lot of us didn't go back. A lot of us stayed in Babylon. So this is uh, the priest requesting that the Jews in Babylon and media in the Persian Media Empire, it says to enjoy their own laws also, he willingly promised to do hereafter what they desired. And when he said to the multitude that if any of them would enlist themselves in his army on this condition, that they should continue under the law of their forefathers and live according to them, he was willing to take them with him. Many were ready to accompany him, Lord. So this part here is going into how a lot of us joined the Greek army and the assimilation uh, started to take place by means of us joining the Greek army. Now, let's get uh 
Let's go here now. <clears throat> Let's go to the Bible Atlas, page 176. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up, y'all, this is important as it relates to the New Testament. You can't read the New Testament and not know this information right here. Because if you do, you're only getting, if you don't have this information, you're only getting half the story. And you'll be lost. And this is how the New Testament becomes uh, inclusive. Because people don't read the rest of the, his, the history before the New Testament. All right. So let's get Bible Atlas page 175 first. I don't know if I read this last week. I guess I'm going to read it again. It says the Greek. No, this is the part I'm going to The challenges of Hellenism. So if you're unfamiliar with Hellenism, this is what Alexander ushered in, all right? And I'm going to get the definition of Hellenism also. So let me see. Here we go. The challenges of Hellenism. Hellenism brought problems as well. Lack of political unity resulted in wide-ranging wars among Alexander's successors. We're going to get to that in a bit. This meant insecurity and economic hardship for the vast majority of the population. Slavery became a continuing characteristic of Greek society. So the Greeks were heavy, heavy, heavy into slavery. Greek values stood in strong opposition. Listen to this. Greek values stood in opposition to traditional religious and cultural values. People lived under the tension of loyalty to the old and the hope of prosperity from the new. Jews, with their traditional worship of only one God, stood under extreme threat and tension from Hellenism. Y'all see this, right? So who was threatened the most? The Jews, the Israelites. Still, the new international traffic and trade led to rapid expansion and development of Judaism outside of Palestine. These new international Jews, the diaspora, prospered in vital Hellenized Judaism in cities like Alexandria. So it's talking about the economic boom that came in with Alexander, and if you were Hellenized, Israelite, then you could become very prosperous. It says new growth and expansion brought new tensions, new tensions for Jews. To what degree could a Jew adopt a new culture and still adhere to the faith? So this is what a lot of us was doing, man. A lot of us was selling out. Like I just read, in uh, the Josephus, how a lot of us joined Alexander's Greek army, well, a lot of us joined the Greek culture as a whole under, uh, under Hellenization. It says more conservative Jews elements, conservative Jewish elements, strenuous Hellen... Oh, I'm sorry, let me read it again. More conservative Jewish elements, so more of us that was more law-abiding and sticking to the scriptures, 
strenuously resisted Hellenistic believing compromise constituted a denial of their ancestral faith. So a lot of us was gun ho die hard Israelite uh, followers of the Most High, and we were not going to assimilate and become Greeks. A lot of us were not, but a lot of us were. We know. Other Jews claim to be faithful to the traditional religion while also enjoying the benefits of Hellenistic culture. So then you had some brothers that was one foot in, one foot out, no different than now, man. Eventually, this tension erupted when Sir Lucius, kingdom of Syria, aggressively sought to force Jews to adopt Hellenistic practices. So it's talking about the uh, Sir Lucius kingdom, and what it's alluding to is, and we're going to get to it here in a second, Antiochus' epiphanies, I believe he was the fifth. So Hellenization came in with Alexander, but it was the Sir Lucius dynasty under Antiochus Epiphanes the fifth that made it mandatory. The Alexander didn't make Hellenization mandatory, but under Antiochus Epiphanes he made it mandatory. It says this ignited the Maccabean revolt and led to a brief period of Jewish independence, which we're going to get into. Now, before we get into that, matter of fact, I, I think I might have jumped the gun. It's all good, though. Um, let's get Daniel chapter 9. All right. So we learned that a lot of us joined the Greek army. A lot of us assimilated and uh, joined Greek. Greek culture took on Greek identity. This is very important, y'all. All right, so we're going to Daniel chapter, what did I say? Yeah, Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to read verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us, meaning the Israelites, Confusion of faces. So this is what was going on during the time of Hellenization. We were confused about who we were as a people and as a nation. And we still are to this day and age, man. Hellenization, Americanism, same thing. As at this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, what he's talking about is the southern kingdom. We were confused about who we are what nation we came from. It says, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries where the thou has driven them because their trust that they have trespassed against thee. So it's talking about all the many different captivities that we've been in and how much the Most High has scattered us all over the globe that we're really confused about who we are as a people, y'all. So it was like that during the time of the uh, Hellenization under Alexander, and it's like that to this day. 
verse 8, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of faces, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. And remember, this was our own doing, our own doing. All right, y'all, let me get the Zonda man out now. And we're going to go to uh, the definition of Hellenism so we can understand what this is talking about. So the Zonda Man Bible Dictionary, page 223. All right. Hellenist. Jews who made Greek their tongue. So the Hellenist, or to be Hellenized, is when you made the Jewish, I'm sorry, you made the Greek language your language. Jews who made Greek their tongue, and with it often adopted Greek ideals and practices. So this is what it meant to be Hellenized. You spoke the Greek language, you made uh, the Greek practices, the Greek uh, Greek ideas. So all their Greek gods, their style of dress, their uh, their, their I ain't even say morals because they really didn't have morals. Walking around in damn sheets and togas, being half dressed, uh, being promiscuous. Uh, their homosexuality, their sexual appetites, all of this, our people adopted. No different than this day and age, man. You got brothers running around in these damn Greek fraternities putting damn brands on their on they flesh. Talking about I'm Q, I'm Kaba, I'm this, I'm that. This is where they get it from, man. This is nothing new. Like Scripture says, there's nothing new under the sun. All right, so that was from the Zonovan. Now let's get this out of the uh, encyclopedia. So this is from the New Illustrated Columbia Encyclopedia. I'm going to page uh, 3042. All right, and this is the definition of Hellenism. Culture, idea, and pattern of life of ancient Greeks in classic classical times. It usually means primarily the culture of Athens and related cities during the age of Pericles. The term is also applied to the idea of later writers and thinkers who draw their inspiration from ancient Greece. Frequently, it is contrast, now listen to this, frequently it is contrast with Hebraism. Y'all hear this? It's contrast with Hebraism, meaning it's opposite of Hebraism. Hellenism, then meaning pagan, joy. So pagan means what? They believed in many gods. They were idolaters. Joy, freedom, the freedom to do whatever. I just want to have fun. And love of life as, 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 as con, 
Hold on, y'all. I'm sorry. As contrasted with the contrasted with the austere morality and monotheism of the Old Testament, man. So Hellenism was complete, completely the opposite of Hebraism or Judaism, for lack of a better term right now. It says the Hellenistic period came to an end with the concept of Alex I'm sorry, the conquest of Alexander the Great in the fourth century BC. It was succeeded by the Hellenistic civilization. So it didn't die. It did not die. It was still alive and well. And we're gonna get to that also. So the reason I pulled that out is to show that it was a contrast. It was a difference. It was completely, Hellenization was completely against the law, statutes, and commandments of the Most High. I want us to see that. All right, now let's go to uh, 1 Maccabees chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 4. First Maccabees chapter one and verse four. And it happened after that Alexander, son of Philip, the Macedonian, who came out of the land of Chittim, had smitten Darius, king of Persia and Medes, that he reigned in his seed, the first over Greece. So this is Alexander popping up on the scene around three thirty three BC. Let me read on let me read the verse ten, y'all. And he made many wars and won many strongholds and slew the kings of the earth and went through to the ends of the earth and took spoils of many nations insomuch that the earth was quiet before him, whereupon he was exalted and his heart was lifted up. And he gathered a mighty strong host and ruled over countries and nations and kings who became tributaries unto him. So what Alexander did, y'all, was he conquered the dark nations of the, of his time, the known living world of his. Go back and watch that movie Alexander. So a lot of the storyline they get right, a lot of the cast they get right uh, in those dark nations. Um, so go back and check that out, verse 5. And after these things he fell sick and perceived that he should die. And he did, and it's in, even in the movie they, they covered this. Whereof he called his servants, such as were honorable, and had been brought up with him from his youth, and parted his kingdom among them. And while he was yet alive, so Alexander reigned 12 years and then died. So it took this dude 12 years to conquer the known living world at the time, man. He did this very swiftly. This is why, and we don't get to it in Daniel, he's known as the leopard because leopards are known for their speed. Alexander was rolling, taking over the world. Like I said, it took him 12 years to do it as a young man. Verse 8, and his servants bear rule every one in his place. And after his death, they all put crowns upon themselves. So did their sons after them. Many years, and evils were multiplied in the earth. All right. 
So let me let me get this part right here. Let me deal with this part. When he talked about the men that came up with him, he's talking about Alexander's four generals, y'all, okay? They divided Alexander's kingdom up after his death, and each of them took a section of Alexander's kingdom. So you had his one of his generals, Lacamachus, he took Hellespont. Hellespont consisted of uh, Greece, Macedonia, and uh, basically all that area that connects Europe to the Middle East. So that was his territory. Then you had Cassandra, and he took Trace and uh, Bithyum. Trace and Bithyum, uh, basically uh, the middle, the Middle East, um, and portions of what's known as Euro Asia. Then you have Ptolemy, and I'm sure you heard of y'all heard of the Ptolemy dynasty. Well, Ptolemy took Egypt, and I went over this uh, several times how the Ptolemies uh, were uh, kings and they had a dynasty down there in Egypt and they basically replaced the Egyptians. This is why uh, a couple couple months back they were giving Kevin Hart all that heat about when Kevin Hart said that the ancient Egyptians were black. They were. Well, they were replaced by the Ptolemies and all the other Edomites that migrated down into Egypt, and Cleopatra was in fact an Edomite. They they practiced a lot of incest within their family, but Ptolemy took over Egypt. Now this is the dynasty that is in question that we're going to get to, uh, the Seleucid dynasty, and Seleucid took over Asia, including Israel, Syria, and Babylonia. So this was. These were Alexander's four generals that took over his territory. Let me read this again. Verse 7, so Alexander reigned 12 years and then died. Then his servants bear rule, everyone in his place. That's the servants I just named. And after his death, they all put crowns upon themselves. So did their sons after them many years. And evils were multiplied in the earth. Verse 10. And there came out of them a wicked root, Antiochus, surname Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king, who had been a hostage at Rome, and he reigned in the hundred and thirty and seventh year of the kingdom of the Greeks. So this was an extension of Alexander's kingdom under his four generals, in this kingdom in particular, the Seleucid dynasty, Antiochus Epiphany. All right, so let me do this, y'all. Let me go to this article right here. And we're going to get some information on who Antiochus Epiphany was. All right, Antiochus 
Epiphanies the Sixth. Antiochus Epiphanes, and this is from Britannica, y'all. And his name means in the Greek, God manifests. So he's known as Antiochus Epiphanes, also called Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the mad. <laughs> so they called him the madman. He was nuts. It says, Sir Lucius King of the Hellenistic Syrian kingdom who reigned from 175 to 164 BCE. As a ruler, he was best known for his encouragement of Greek culture and institutions. His attempts to suppress Judaism brought on the wars of the Maccabees. So you see, what we're reading, y'all, is history. The Bible is not a, a fictitious book, man. These events happen. So this is who Antiochus was, and this coincides with what we just read out of Maccabees and what we also pull out of the uh, Bible Atlas. Now, let's go to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 5. And it reads, it says, because this chapter, and I've been reading this chapter, breaking down the um, kings that came into power and the captivities that the Israelites have been in. So this right here picks up, matter of fact, let me start at verse 4, read it in context. It says, I saw the ram pushing westward and northward. And southward. Now, the ram, once again, y'all, is the Persian Median Empire. They are the rams. So that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. So the ram is the Persian Median Empire. Let me jump over to verse 20 to prove it. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Persia and Media. All right? Verse 5, and this is when they came into uh, rulership and authority on the earth. Verse 5, and as I was considering, behold, and he came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the goat had, had a notable horn between his eyes. This is talking about Alexander the Great, under the Greeks or the Grecians, verse 21. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king, the first king of Greece, of uh, Macedonia, Alexander, man. He's the one. His, his father, Philip, united all of Greece. Alexander was the first king. Now, reading on, the point I want to get to. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. So this is talking about the Persian Medes Empire going to war, or the Greek Empire going to war with the Persian Medes. Verse 7, And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with collar against him, and smote the ram. So this is the he-goat, Alexander. Uh, coming into power, smashing the Persian Mede Empire, it says, and break his two horns, because they were co uh, power, 
uh, the Medes and the Persians. It says, and there was no power in the realm to stand before him, so Alexander took them out of power. But he cast them down to the ground and stumped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the realm out of his hand. Therefore, the ego waxed very strong. So Alexander was very strong, and we already read that. He made nations pay tribute. He took over the world. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for, and for it came up four notable horns toward the four winds of heaven. This is when Alexander, because when it, it says the great horn was broken, Alexander died. He parted his kingdom to his four generals, which are already brought out, Lacamachus, Cassandra, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Now listen to this. And out of one of them, uh, and out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceedingly great towards the south and towards the east and towards the pleasant land. The pleasant land being Jerusalem. The out of out of them, the little horn is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes the fifth, y'all. This is who it's talking about. It says he waxed exceedingly great. And he came up against the pleasant land. So he came up against Israel, came up against Jerusalem, which we just read out of that article that I pulled uh, out of the uh, the Britannica. Now watch this. It says, uh, and it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. So when it says he waxed great, it's talking about his power. It says, even to the host of heaven, he's talking about the army of heaven. He's talking about God's people, man. And it says, and it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Now, let's get who the stars are, y'all, that it's talking about. Because it's, it's talking about us as a nation, as a people. It's talking about the southern kingdom that was still there in Jerusalem. I got to get this, though. Let's get a... Yep, here it is. So this is uh, Genesis chapter 37 and verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream. Now, this is Joseph in his dreams that he would have. And he dreamed another dream and told his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon, and the 11 stars made obstinance to me. Now, he's talking about his father being the sun, his mother being the moon, and the 11 stars was talking about his brothers. Because remember, it's 12 tribes. <laughs> he, him being the, uh, the 12th one. So he says, and the 11 stars made obstinance. Uh, to me So the stars are referring to the Israelites y'all, To us as a nation These are the patriarchs Alright Now going back to what we just read In verse 10 And it waxed great even to the host of heaven And it cast down some of the hosts Of the stars to the ground So he cast down us to the ground And stamped upon them Antiochus came in and destroyed a lot of our people, a lot of our nation, y'all. This is what he did. 
And this is what it's talking about here in Daniel chapter 8. And I'm going to read on verse 11. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Talking about how this dude went against Christ. Because Christ is the prince of the host. It says, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. And what he did, what Antiochus Epiphany did was he made it unlawful to be an Israelite, meaning you could not worship the Most High. You couldn't keep the law, statutes, and commandments of the Most High. And he took away, like I said, the daily sacrifice of what we couldn't sacrifice to the Most High. Reading on, verse 12. And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice, or army was given to him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. So all this was brought upon the Israelites, brought upon us, because we kept breaking the Most High's law, statutes, and commandments. This is why the Most High had to send Antiochus Epiphany. No different than he sent the Persian Medes, no different than he sent the Babylonians, no different than he sent the Romans. We're going to get into that also. And it and it cast down the truth, <laughs> wow! And it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. And this is what Antiochus did. Let's read that. Let's get it, because this was the vision that Daniel had. Now let's get it in in the actual event that took place that Daniel was describing in his vision. First Maccabees the one in verse eleven. In those days went there out of Israel wicked men. You see this, right? Out of our own nation went wicked men. Why were they wicked? Watch this. Who persuaded many, saying, let us go and make a covenant with the heathen that are round about us. For since we departed from them, we have had much sorrow. So a lot of us, went to make a covenant or a contract with the other nations, with the Most High, forbid us to do. This is why these men are called wicked. Let's get Deuteronomy chapter 7 real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou go to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perdicites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor shall make mercy unto them. The Most High never wanted us to make a covenant with the other nations. He never wanted us to be like the heathen, y'all. Let's get Jeremiah chapter 10, just to keep proving this. People really don't understand the Bible, man. So when you see the word Gentile or heathen in the New Testament, you thinking everybody is included, but no, y'all, that's not the case. It would be, it would make the Bible contradictory. Jeremiah 10 and 1, hear ye the word speak unto you. O house of Israel, thus said the Lord, learn not 
the way of the heathen. He said, don't learn the way of the heathen. First, we read the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He said, don't make no contracts with the heathen. Now, in Jeremiah, he says, don't learn their ways. Don't be like them. So the Most High forbid that. So how the hell in the New Testament he coming back and he's, he's sparing them, the people he told us not to be like? It would make no sense. Matter of fact, I guess I got to get this too. And I'm pulling all these scriptures out to show how the Most High feels about the rest of the nations, man. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations, in case you didn't know, when you see the word nations, heathens, and Gentiles, all those words are synonymous. They mean the same thing. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket meaning they're insignificant, and are counted as the small dust on the balance. Behold, he taken up the owls as a very little thing. All nations, matter of fact, I skipped verse 15, but let me say, let me skip, let me go to 17, let's get to the point. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and are vanity. He said that all nations were worthless to him, this is why the Most High was so upset, and this is why he's referring to these Israelites as wicked men. Let's go back to First Maccabees chapter 1, verse 11. In those days went there out of Israel wicked men who persuaded many, saying, let us go and make a covenant with the heathen or nations or Gentiles. Remember, those three words are synonymous. That are round about us, for since we departed from them, we have had much sorrow. So this device pleased them well. Then certain of the people were so forward wherein that they went to the king who gave them license to do after the ordinances of the heathen or the order of the heathen. So look how we as a people, as a nation, wanted to be like the other nations, man, and went and asked their king for permission to do such. Now, verse 15, listen to this. It says, and made themselves uncircumcised. So us, Israelites, went, to, went so far to be like these other nations that we uncircumcised ourselves and forsook the holy covenant. We forsook the contract that we entered in, that our forefathers entered in, our forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, entered into the contract with the Most High, we said to hell with it. We threw it in the wind. It says, and joined themselves to the heathen and were sold to do mischief. This is very important, y'all. We start doing things the way the heathen does that other nations do, and in turn, we started doing the same mischief or the same mischievous deeds as the other nations. So in a sense, we became them. We became Gentiles. We became heathen. Oh, y'all listening. It's not by nationality, but it's by ideology. Let's go to 2 Maccabees chapter 4 now. 
you're going to get the same story in a little bit more detail on what it means to be a heathen and how far we went with it. So Second Maccabees chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 7. But after the death of Sir Lucius, but after the death of Seleucus, when Antiochus, called Epiphany, took the kingdom, came into power after uh, Seleucus died, he took over his realm. It says, he took the kingdom, Jason, the brother of Onias. Now, Jason was an Israelite. Onias, his brother, was an Israelite. Onias was a righteous priest who loved his people, but Jason didn't. Jason, the brother of Onias, labored under hand to take, to I'm sorry, to be high priest. So Jason wanted to be the high priest instead of his brother. Promising sibling robbery, right? Sibling hatred. Black on black crime. Verse 8. Promising unto the king by uh, intercession 303 score talents of silver. And of another revenue So this dude wanted to Buy his way into the priesthood Verse 9 Besides this He promised to assign 150 more Some more money If he might Have license to set Oh my goodness To set him up A place for exercise Oh man This is us Paying to be like the heathen This dude wanted to pay money To set up a place of exercise What is that known as today? A gymnasium Which means naked We know it in this common term Gym The gymnos It means to be naked y'all And when you go to the gym Even to this day and age You see us in there Half naked Back in this time, we were fully naked. So this dude wanted to set up a place of exercise, Marino, and for the training up of the youth in the fashion of the heathen. So this dude, Jason, wanted us and wanted our young ones, because how do you disable uh, 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 a society How do you dis- disrupt a society And get them To think the way you think You grab the youth You grab the youngsters This is why it's so important Y'all for us To teach our kids the law, statutes And commandments in the way Of the most high So they can teach their kids This is why the, the scriptures even tells us that um, What is this uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 7 when it talks about uh, this book of the law shall not pass uh, out of thy mind, it says, write them on the house of our gates. Thou shalt speak of them uh, when you rise it up, rise it and, and uh, lay it down. And we should talk, uh, teach this to our children. This is why it says this, y'all. And this, this dude, this wicked, this wicked dude, he understood that this was the best way to corrupt his nation. By teaching the youth the fashion of the heathen To be like the other nations Now listen to this part And to write them of Jerusalem By the name 
Antiochian. Oh my goodness. To become Antiochian, so become no different than we call ourselves Americans now. Antiochians. They want to be named, so they ain't Israelites no more. They want to be called after this wicked ass king, Antiochus Epiphanes. This is what we. This is what we do, man. Still, this day and age, which when the king had granted, and he had gotten into his hand the rule, he forthwith brought his own nation to the Greekish fashion. So this is Jason selling our people out. He he, <laughs> instrument instrumental. In Hellenism himself Not so far as Antiochus Even though Antiochus did make it mandatory But we volunteered To be Hellenized y'all I hope we see in this We volunteered to be Hellenized So this is a good play, A good stopping point y'all I think um, And then we'll come back next week Lord willing and recap and then dive a little bit more into circumcision, which is going to lead us into the New Testament. So the water for everybody for tuning in to the broadcast, the water Shabbat for hooking up the broadcast. I hope everybody everybody got some edification, some understanding out of this. Oh, I was not going too fast. I know I have a tendency to do that sometime. I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, but thanks for tuning in and thanks for your support. And until next week, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Southern Pod Tuesdays, Southern Pod Tuesdays, Southern Pod Tuesdays every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, I'm going to say shalom. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.